So if you've been with us, if you remember in chapter 47, especially verses at the end, verses 28 through 31, Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. Remember, the entire tribe of Jacob and down is now in, uh, down in Egypt. He settled down. The, the Pharaoh and, and Joseph settled him into the, 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 the Goshen area. And they're all in that fertile land. They're separated from the Egyptians because the Egyptians see the um, uh, shepherds as an abomination. The Egyptians want nothing to do with shepherds, which is perfect according to God's plan. They wanted that separation. So there was not an integration. There was not some kind of way that uh, they could have that intermarriage that God did not want that to happen. So we see them sitting there, and he's Jacob's now been living in Egypt for 17 years, and he's about to, at the end of his age at 147 years of age. Now, if you remember, his grandfather Abraham lived at 175, and his father Isaac lived to 180. And now he's at 147, he's a, a come to the very end of his life, and remember, at the very end, he got his, his son Joseph, to, who was the second most powerful man in the world at that time. God had raised him up from a slave to now being Pharaoh's right-hand man to, do, to oversee. And God used him in a mighty way, if you remember. But here, Jacob, at the very end of 47, is saying, Joseph, swear to me, you have to guarantee, promise me, that when I die, you're not going to leave me here. You're going to take me back to the promised land and bury me with my fathers. And sure enough, Joseph, of course, said, yes, when you die, Dad, I will take you and bury you back there at the cave of Maccabalia, back there in the Canaan, back where your Abraham and Isaac and your first wife, Leah, and others are, are buried. I guarantee you, Dad, I will do that. Today, as we look and start chapter 48, we see now it came to pass after these things, after the 17 years, after the time spent there in Egypt, that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I'll make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So you picture here that things are going on as a new life is settling here in Egypt for 17 years. He's coming to the end of his life. He knows this. And obviously we find as we study the scriptures, it, it appears that Joseph having to rule Egypt and around the world and coming out of the famine and getting back into this, the, uh, you know, there's now rain coming and things are starting to produce and stuff. He does not go back up to Goshen. He doesn't go back up into that part of the northern part of Egypt and to see his dad and his, and his entire tribe of family there. But he obviously had people there keeping an eye on dad. And he must have been sending up saying, hey, let me know if anything changes with dad. Let me know. Give me reports once in a while. And sure enough, a report came back and said, Joseph, your dad is sick, really sick. 
to a point that alerted him to now Joseph gets in his little chariot, as I'm sure he, and in his entire entourage that would have surrounded him being the second in control of Egypt, setting, going up to see his dad with his two sons, his only sons there we see, Manasseh and Ephraim. And as he's approaching, and of course from a distance you would know that he's approaching because there's a royalty showing up. Everybody in the country is going to see as they approach. They didn't have to sit there and go, oh, who's coming? It was very obvious that the, who was coming. And they said to Jacob, look, your son Joseph is coming. And Israel, jo Jacob, strengthens himself. He must have been just said, I am going to be sitting up here and ready I am so excited to see my son Joseph. Remember his favorite son. And so there he is. Jo Joseph walks into the place and Jacob says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. Now if you remember, he renamed it, Jacob renamed Luz to Bethel, where that is where Jacob's first met God, if you remember. He first met him there in Luz, and he turned that place into Bethel, and Jacob clearly remembered the outstanding encounter that he had with God. Now, I love this little bit right here as a reminder for you and I as men, or as a father. So many times I hear, and so many times I've experienced but I have tried very hard as a father to always share with our children the things that God is doing in my life. So many times fathers say, the kids will say, I never knew that about my dad. I never knew that God did that through my dad. I didn't know God was showing my dad this. And dads do not share with their children what God is doing. Let me encourage you, my brothers. You must share what God is doing in your life or has done in your life. That's how your children learn of what God can do in their life. Don't keep it a secret. They should be seeing God working in and through your life. And here Jacob is sharing with Joseph exactly what God had shared with him at his time of his change of his life. Remember, he was a rebellious man. Even though he was led, you, you and I would see as the most godly family, right? Grandfather Abraham, Father Isaac. You would think, oh, they, there was a perfect little Christian little home. No, Jacob was the most rebellious. He did, went off on his own tangents. He was rebellious. So many wrong things in his life. But when he got to lose, God re re revealed himself for the very first time. And he, and he that. The whole place changed in his mind because his relationship became real. It wasn't his father. He lived a life of Christianity, let's say, through his relationship that his parents had with God. Or through your spouse. It's my spouse's relationship. That's why I'm a Christian. No, see, a relationship with God is personal. Yes, God uses families and, and, and parents to point you to Jesus. But it's a personal relationship. You have to choose who you shall follow. Your parents? Your parents are not perfect. 
I know that's surprising to you kids, you know, some of you youngsters, that your parents are not perfect. I know that. But they're not perfect. You need to keep your eyes on the perfect one. And it's Jesus Christ, and he alone is perfect. The things of the world will distract you. People's lives will distract you. Even your parents will distract you from the one who wants you to follow him. So here we see Jacob is telling Joseph um, about this encounter with God. And that he was El Shaddai, God Almighty, who appeared to him right there in this place. And shared with Jacob at that time the covenant that was passed from, from, uh, to, from Abraham to Isaac to now to Joseph. That behold, you this nation, this, this lineage that you are part of, and part of this family, is going to multiply and be fruitful. And it's going to multiply into multiple people. And he has, God has given us a promised land, Canaan a promised land for your descendants, and it will be for an everlasting possession. It was a covenant with God. It's going to be yours and your children's children all the rest of, the, of life of eternity. I mean, it's all into the everlasting possession. And, and, and God was obviously reminding Jacob to share what God had said because he knew his life is coming to an end. And he needed to pass that on to his son so his son knew clearly what was, for, what was for, uh, for certain in his life. So we see here that he's bringing back what God shared with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. He's passing these words down, these exact words of God's covenant to him, to Joseph, that he then will be able to pass on to his two sons who are there listening to this, to be inheritance of this covenant. And such Hope that it was given to Abraham at the time that God shared that covenant. That same hope of God's covenant was then passed on to Isaac. That same hope of God's word was then passed on to Jacob. Now Jacob is now passing on God's hope in his word now to Joseph and to his sons. Do you want as a, as a family, as a father, to pass on hope to your children? Pass on the word of God. Because there is no other hope apart from God. And if you have not personally recognized it, in due time you will find the rest of your life falling apart. You will realize that you only have hope in Jesus because this world is of no hope. Relationships you think that are you're gathering in this human life, you think that person, that boss, that job, that whatever that idol that may be in your life, it will come crumbling down and you will realize that was just a false idol, a false God in your life. And you will come to the point that God is the one and only. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, you may not believe that. But in due time, God will reveal yourself to a point where you will have a choice as he's given you a choice. You will believe by faith in Jesus Christ alone, or you will choose to reject that. I, I pray that you will not reject him, that by faith you will choose to follow him and allow him to reveal himself to you. Now we see here in verse 5, and now your two sons, 
Ephraim and Manasseh, who are born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. So, Jacob is making a very clear statement here to Joseph. You have two sons, Joseph. Those two sons were born outside of my view. They were born in Egypt when we were separated, before I even got to even knew you were alive again, and even you had children. But even though those two children, that Ephraim and Manasseh, that were born to you, they're going to be as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. I will take them and inherit them in as my own sons from my own life. And they are almost like a replacement of Reuben and Simeon. Why would he replace Joseph's sons with his own true sons as number one and two sons? If you remember, if you go back in the scriptures, you see there in Genesis 30, uh, 34 and 35, uh, those two sons really messed up. Reuben and Simeon had messed up so bad that even though at the time when we read in chapters 34 and 35 that dad, Jacob, never said anything to those sons, we see now in the time here and in next week, we will see that he never forgot how they were, the, the anger and, the, and what they did to those, those men in Shechem and everything else. We'll see quickly that they lost their inheritance. And now God is using uh, Jacob to now bring about a blessing through Joseph and to his, to his sons and will become the heirs of, uh, of prominence. See, the recognition of Joseph's sons would have an effect on the appoint a proportion of the land of the promised land in the years to come. We will see historically, if you go to Joshua chapter 16 and 17, you will see what this blessing plays out here. Because when they get to Joshua 16 and 17, you will see the fact that um, the, these sons and Joseph and Joseph's sons will actually inherit the promised lands because of the prominence, that, uh, the blessing that uh, Jacob is going to be bestowing on these two men. And it will play out in that period of time. But he says they will be mine. Why is that so important? Because Jacob's adoption of Manasseh and Ephraim explains why there are 12 tribes often listed in different combinations through the Old Testament. So many times people say, well, pastor, I go through the Old Testament, and I just can't figure out who the 12 tribes are, and they seem to be different. I'm trying to line these up. But when you understand this part of the scripture, you'll understand how this plays out. Because of his adoption, there were actually 13 sons of Israel. Twelve were born, but Joseph was divided into two tribes, as we will see, played out through the Old Testament. And so therefore, as the tribes are listed through the Old Testament, they are arranged in different ways as you study the Old Testament according and remaining of those 12 tribes, and you'll see them in 20 different ways displayed in the Old Testament. But they're all talking about the same thing, but Joseph is in the fact that there's two, two, lineage, uh, uh, a two lineage or 13 tribes described. Now, why is 12 so important? 12 in the scripture is associated with government or administration in God's eyes. 
And we see it all throughout the scriptures. If you study, you'll keep track of these things. You have 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, the 12 princes of Ishmael, 12 pillars of Moses, the 12 stones on the high priest's breastplate, the 12 cakes of showbread, 12 silver platters, the the, in, in the silver bowls and the gold pans, there's 12 spies to search out the promised land, the 12 memorial stones, the 12 governors. It goes on and on and on. Why? Because all of those represent a government or leading of, of, administratively by God to go out and do what he needs to have done according to his plan. So as we study the scriptures, we can see that played out even further more right down, obviously, to the tree of life in heaven has 12 fruits. Now, here in verse 8 of 40, uh, chapter 48, then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me. I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with, a with age so that he could not see, and then Joseph brought, the, brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them, just like a grandfather would, right? He hasn't seen these. He hasn't met these boys before. He said, you know, this is grandfather. He's going to kiss on them and, and, uh, and hug them here. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from behind his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. What an incredible moment right here. He, Jacob is sitting there. He's trying to keep the strength up. He's about to die. He dimly can't see, just like his father Isaac. Remember Isaac when he was a blessing to the sons? He as well could not see. His eyes were dim as well because he was so old. But he says, oh, these are my two sons. These are your grandsons. He says, oh, bring them here. I want to embrace them and kiss them. These are, and he, this is why I called Jacob's blessing. Because if you study this part of the chapter, you think it's all about Jacob blessing the sons and blessing Joseph. But for me, this is a moment of dad being blessed. Because remember, this is the, this is the son that he thought he would never see again. He thought he was dead. For almost 20, 22 years. And now he's sitting there and he goes, I am so blessed because you've come back to see me. I not only do I get to see you, and I thought it never happened, but I actually get to see your offspring. I get to see my grandsons that I thought I would never have. What a blessing upon this elderly man who is about to die. What God's grace, what God's mercy upon this man. Because you know as well as I do, Jacob didn't deserve any of this. But God still showed grace and still showed blessing to this man. So just like Isaac, his father, who had failing eyes and couldn't see, here he says, How, who are these sons? And these are my sons, dad, and, and, and Manasseh and Ephraim. But notice, as we take a look he brings them close. You can kind of see this, this moment that you and I can totally understand. That Joseph brought those two boys from beside his knees. You can see those boys were young. They are probably gripping a hold of dad. You know how kids are, right? They walk, you bring your kids in. They're all going crazy. And you walk in. And all of a sudden, they see a stranger. What happens to your kids? 
immediately get behind dad or mom and they grab a hold of the leg, don't they? They almost like, they're peeking around the leg. They don't see me. I'm going to be all, you know, secure and comfortable behind the legs. So you can picture the same thing happening with these two. And you, say, and you can see Joseph, come on, boys. You got to go see grandpa. He's going to slobber all over you here in a minute, but you got to go. And, and he's ushering them out and getting in front of, front of uh, J- uh, Jacob. And not only did Joseph bring those boys out in front of him so they could go meet Grandpa, but notice, notice, Joseph went down onto his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth in front of his father. Here's the most powerful man, one of the second most powerful man in the world at that time. But he was still showing honor and showing humility before his father that he loved. He bowed down and honored him. Now, imagine the moment in this scene. Because in here in verse 13, and Joseph took them both, both his sons, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to them, to him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, what quite quite the scene here. Dad, Grandpa wants to bless the grandsons. He wants to bless Joseph's two sons here. And what they do then is the one that is in the prominent position, the one that's in the position of authority, the one who's going to be the older, typically and traditionally always the oldest, always inherited the, the, the inheritance of the family. So the oldest one is always blessed first with the right hand. Then the second son would get the left hand and be blessed here. But notice the sequence of events here. Joseph, in leaning in his own understanding, he took, and notice the switching of the names here. In the beginning of the scripture, 48, it was mentioned, uh, Manasseh was mentioned first, then Ephraim. But notice here the switch of the names. Now Ephraim, then Manasseh. Why? Because here's what's happened. Joseph is bringing his sons to Jacob to be blessed, to Israel to be blessings on them. He's doing it exactly what he knows should be happening, and that is you take your oldest son, the firstborn, and you bring him over in position so it's easy for dad to bring his right hand up and place it on the head of that son. And he took the second son and brought it over and put him in direct position in front of of Jacob so he would put his left hand on it because he couldn't see, right? So he's putting him in a position because he's trusting in what he understands what God wants. Now, we're going to learn very quickly what, we th- what man's ways are not God's ways. What God wants done is not always and most, mostly not in man's ways. So we see what happens here is as um, Joseph puts them in the proper position for easy for Jacob to reach up and put their hands on the appropriate son, immediately we see Israel stretches out his right hand and he crisscrosses his hands and he places his hands 
Now the right hand on the younger son. He's giving the younger son prominence. The one who's going to be over the oldest son. Crosses his hands. He lays on there. And notice the words there. Guiding his hands knowingly that Manasseh was the firstborn. That didn't matter. Why? Because God has showed Jacob that Ephraim was going to be the larger and more powerful tribe over his oldest uh, brother, Manasseh. So we see here that the right hand, why the right hand? Because the Bible speaks the right hand as the right hand is always in the idea of, of a favored position. Always generally speaking of the right hand, of the, the hand of strength and skill. And we see it in the scriptures all the time. The right hand is associated with God's strength in Exodus 5-6. We see it, uh, that the right hand is in a, a favor, showing favor if you show the right hand. That's Psalm 16-11. The right hand is a hand of showing help. We see that in Psalm 20, verse 6. And we also see why Jesus is described as sitting at the right hand of God the Father in Mark 14-62. So we see the prominence of this right hand. And he knowingly, Israel knew exactly what he intended to do, and that was to deliberately choose the secondborn to receive the greater inheritance of the family. Now, this was Jacob's decision regardless in spite of Joseph's direction. Joseph is, is so many, like so many others, and like you and I, so expecting God to work a certain way in our life. Of course God's going to do it this way. Of course God's going to have to do this, because I told him to do it that way. Or I expect it, because that's the way everyone else has happened. But like Joseph, he expected God to work a certain way, but found that he is often pleased to work differently and sometimes in unconventional ways to bring about God's way for his perfect plan. Now Jacob learned this lesson, did he not? It took him almost a whole lifetime, remember. But Joseph, I mean Jacob in his time in his lifetime of 447 he had to go through some a lot of disciplining, a lot of corrections by God to bring about what God wanted. Now, this is, shouldn't be any surprise to Joseph, should it not? Because this is the fourth generation that this has taken place where the younger was given the inheritance over the oldest one. It started with, remember, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, Joseph over Reuben. Now Ephraim over Manasseh. It's fourth generation that God is working this way to bring about his, his plan. In verse 15, he says, and he blessed Joseph as well here. Not only was he laying hands on the two boys to bless them, but he also blessed Joseph and says to him, and keep note here in these verses 15 and 16, the blessings that he's giving him. He says, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, and the angel, and it should be a capital A in your Bible, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, 
Bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So here we are. We see that Jacob is speaking and blessing Joseph, and he gives him some very specific blessings. The first one is that you will have the same identity, inheritance, and the promise of the covenant that has come from Abraham and from Isaac, your father. Or my, his father. And that blessing, that same blessing is now going to now be the mantle is being passed over to you, Joseph, as it's passed down through the, the lineage. The second thing that we see is that not only are you going to receive the same covenant, the promise, but you understand that God is going to feed you all your life long as well, just as he has fed me. In the original language right there, God who has fed me, means shepherd me. So that the very first place in the scriptures that we see about being shepherded by God is right here in this verse. So he says, God is my shepherd. He has shepherded me. He has kept me and fed me my entire life of 147 years of age. And he's going to do the same thing for you. What a promise of provision the, the blessing he's putting on to his son, Joseph. And then notice that last one. He says the phrase there that, that the angel who has redeemed me, who purchased me, who in the, in the original language also you can use the word deliverer or delivered me from all evil. That's the God who's going to be with you, Joseph, after I die. Who's, who's with you now. He's going to, he has a covenant with you. He's given you a new covenant. He's going to be with you. He's going to be with you, my brothers and sisters. We're under the new covenant of being born again. We're under the new covenant as a Christian. We are not only that, he's your shepherd. He's going to provide for you. Not only that, he's, we have the same promise that the angel who refers to as Jesus Christ, that's why it's a capital A, Jesus Christ is your redeemer. He's your deliverer if you put your trust in him. He's going to deliver you and keep you from all evil. There's nothing that can touch you. He's got you in the grip of his hand. He's going to take you to heaven as he promises. So just as Joseph has those promises, we too as a child of God have those same promises. Now when Joseph, verse 17, saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. Why did that displease him? Was it because he really loved his Manasseh, his firstborn, more than his second son? Did he have the same challenge as his, his father and his father, father and father had the same problem at loving one child more than another? Or was it the fact that he was displeased because he properly placed those kids where they were supposed to do and he messed it up? Well, let's see what else he says here. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph says to his father, not so, my father, for this is the one. For this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Again, Joseph is still leaning on his own understanding and trusting here versus allowing and trusting what God is doing through his father. 
But his father responds here. Notice this. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. So you can almost see it. It depends on how God shows to you. But it almost shows like, Dad, don't mess this up, right? I know you can't see. Let me get you all in order. Dad, you're always messing things up. Let me get you straight here. Now, and, but Jacob says, son, I know what I'm doing. I know. This is exactly what I wanted to have happen. So he's like, okay, son, I know you think you know all things. But God has a different plan. But sure enough, so he also shall become a people. Ephraim's going to, I mean, uh, Manasseh, he's basically saying, he, he, Manasseh, also will become a people. Don't worry about it, Joseph. He also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he sent Ephraim before Manasseh. So he says to Joseph, hey, don't worry. Both of them are going to be great nations. They're going to multiply and be huge families, just massive. But the blessing of a bigger family, of more prominent, of being the one that's going to be over the other one, will be the younger. So Ephraim's going to be bigger. It's going to be prominent. And we see that even Jeremiah 31.9 mentions it as well and refers to the position of this firstborn being moved over to Ephraim versus Manasseh. It says, For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So many times we go, Oh, the firstborn, you automatically say, Oh, so he was the first one out of the womb. But when it comes to, we see in the scriptures, it doesn't always mean the person who's considered firstborn and receiving the inheritance means they were the first one coming out of the womb. But no, we know by, by the scriptures that years later, Ephraim becomes a leading tribe in the northern kingdom when the two kingdoms are split. Uh, Ephraim becomes the largest tribe that oversees all of the northern kingdom, and it was much more superior to the tribe of Manasseh, just as Jacob said that God revealed to him. Now remember, everything we're reading and seeing is purely by faith on Jacob. Jacob is about to die. But Jacob had a trust and a faith of what God had revealed to him and what he was showing him and taking those steps. He didn't, regardless, he didn't see it or how he's going to play this all out. He wasn't going to be around to see it. But he knew that's what God wanted him to do. And then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorites and with my sword and my bow. So he made it very clear to Joseph, I'm about to die. This is it. This is our last little moment and closeness and all the things are playing out. I know I'm about to die. This is a passing over the torch to you, son, you're going to have responsibility going forward here with everything that God has passed down from uh, Abraham to Isaac to myself, now to you. He will be the last of the three great patriarchs that will have passed. 
Now it goes to his son and his son's sons. And he says that a one portion above your brothers, and which refers to Joseph being father of two tribes versus a father of just one tribe like his brothers. And we see that because God has revealed that they're going to go back to the promised land. And when they go back to the promised land, Jacob said that it will be a double portion given to them when they divvy out the promised land to all the brothers. So here they are, if you know and you've studied and continue to study as they were dividing up and say, okay, you've got this part, you've got this part, you'll go here and go there. But for Joseph, he got two portions, double portion, because there was two parts that he got because of his two sons. Now notice here at the very end in verse 22 that we see in scriptures, and the only place in the scripture that is mentioned here that something took place while Jacob was in the Canaan. That while he's in Canaan, God used him to go against the Amorite. And he conquered the Amorites sometime during that time when he was there. Apparently, while he was there, he was able to do that. God has directed him to take over. Now, that's significant because now as they're in Egypt for 400 years, they're coming back into the land. Jacob tells Joseph, oh, by the way, you're gonna, that's, gonna be, that's part of the land that you're going to be inheriting. Now, we see that if you look, if you remember, uh, later Joseph was buried in Shechem. We see that in Jos uh, Josiah, uh, the, um, uh, Joshua 24, 32. We see that Joseph actually is buried in Shechem as a sign that he possessed this uh, bequeathed land to him that was told uh, right here in the scripture. So apparently when... You know, once they came back in there, they, they went back up into that area. They took over the Amorites area. Remember, that's the hill country of the Canaanites. And we also see one other thing that knows, we know why he did possess it. Because if you go back to John chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, it's the only reference in the New Testament. That is where uh, a, he dug a well and is referenced that he owned that well. So that's how we know that that came about as well. So this completes the, the wonderful work that God is now transitioning everything over to his son, his son's sons, and the blessing is passing on. Now it's an interesting reference here because many times we sit there and say, I really messed my life up my, 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 as a father, as a, as a, as a, as a dad, as a, as a husband. I've really messed things up. Things have not gone right. The things according to the plans and all these things. But let me encourage you, my brothers. Let me encourage you, my sisters, because you can see that God as a child of God. And we know that Jacob was God's. Why? Because God revealed himself in Luz, right? Bethel. But remember, he, as he came back into the promised land, he was being obedient. Remember the, 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 the struggle, the, the wrestling that he did with God? He ended up getting his, his hip knocked out. He had a, a limp. So here we are, all these years, years later, he still has a limp. He still remembers the encounter that he had with God, and God had to break him to get him to surrender his life and be obedient. And then his last part of his life was walking with God and being obedient to God and being in, by living by faith and not by sight. He was no longer the co the, the the uh, manipulator, the, 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 the liar, he would no longer, that was no longer him. 
God had restored it and brought his life around to be a godly man, a godly father, and now a godly grandfather that could have the blessing that God gave him a blessing to be able to see his son Joseph one more time and his two grandsons for the very first time and be able to, to pray and bless them. That is so true for our lives. Regardless of how messed up you may have thought you've done your life living as a man, or a woman, if you will just choose today to surrender all and follow God, he will restore you like he did with Jacob, and he'll bring a blessing upon your life you've never thought. You, you don't deserve it. We all know we don't deserve it. But it's by God's grace that he still does it. Choose today who you will follow. Choose today what kind of a man you want to be today. What kind of a woman do you, you want to be a godly man? Do you want to be a godly woman? Choose today to follow him and allow him to work in and through your life. Amen?